Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. Baptist Church in Barberville, and uh, lots of good things going on in and, and through the church, and I'd like to just make a welcome, if you haven't already, our student and discipleship pastor and his family, first week officially on the job, thanks to Shane and Jamie and the kids for being here, just make them welcome if you would. been wonderful having him in the office this week, and it's great to have him officially here on duty this morning. Take just a second, turn to somebody this morning, tell you, good to see you, happy 4th of July, 3rd of July, I guess. Today, after church, I just want to uh, make this announcement before we get going. Today at 1 o'clock, uh, our, our dear friend who's been attending here for some time was uh, uh, helping out in, in every way possible he could. Chris Bolton, unfortunately, passed away uh, early Friday morning, late Thursday night. And his funeral is this afternoon at 1 o'clock over at Coffee Funeral Home in Harrogate, Tennessee. Uh, so if anybody uh, wishes to go over there, I just wanted to let you know what those arrangements are. I'll be getting out of here pretty quick right after church to get over to Harrogate and uh, join the service for, for Brother Chris. But pray for, for Red or Yvonne, uh, affectionately known as Red, and, and for their family uh, in the coming days and weeks as, as their life has radically changed now with Chris's passing. That being said, we're going to jump into the Word this morning, and you'll notice this week you get into a, a new book. Last week we saw a historic moment for Israel in the book of Ezra, and in that passage we saw how God's people had been allowed to go back to their homeland, to the promised land, and they set about the work of rebuilding the temple that had been torn down and just completely destroyed, and while that was an incredible moment for them, that Wonderful story doesn't mean that everything's easy going from that time forward. Matter of fact, uh, there is actually harsh opposition to rebuilding the temple. And all that work comes to a stop just in Ezra chapter 4. And you know, you think about it, this is typically how these big jobs or these big endeavors go, right? When God even wants to do something big or something big is happening in your life, there's usually a lot of forwards and backwards, a lot of ups and downs. Sometimes progress stops altogether as Two opposing sides try to come to terms, or maybe there's even spiritual warfare 
involved. And I thought about their story and I thought about our story as Americans on this Independence Day weekend. And it reminds me of those brave men that we celebrate who took, uh, you know, basically signed their lives away when they signed the Declaration of Independence saying that we're no longer bound to the British crown anymore, that we can and should govern ourselves. Now, even though they signed that document, that didn't mean that freedom just came naturally. That basically meant the fight was on from that moment forward, right? And so eventually, through all the the moments of defeat, the moments of triumph, God brought our people and our nation to where we are today. Thank Him for that. That's how it would also be for God's people Israel. Even though they were back in their homeland, back in the promised land, even though a decree had been given uh, for them to rebuild the temple, and even though the foundational stone had been laid, that did not mean that the hard times were over. There was still a lot of hard times for those in Israel, and there was definitely a hard time for those still back exiled among the nations. This morning, we're going to look at a parallel story to those events in Ezra, and we'll be turning to Esther chapter 4. And the events of Esther, you may wonder why our reading plan jumps back and forth a little bit. The events in the book of Esther most likely take place in the middle of the book of Ezra, chronologically speaking. And so it's probably somewhere between the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7, you could insert Esther in there time-wise, and that's when this took place. And so not all of the Jews who had been exiled went back to the promised land. And the book of Esther introduces us to one of those, a man named Mordecai, who was still in exile. And to give you a little background, Mordecai's great-grandfather had been one of those who had been exiled from Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar and taken off to Babylon. Now, he was the guardian of this young lady by the name of Esther who somehow had been orphaned. We don't have all of her story. But long story short, the new king begins looking for a new queen. A lot of you are probably familiar with the story of Esther. And Esther stands out as more beautiful and and more promising than all the other women who are paraded in front of the, the king, right? And under Mordecai's direction, Esther hides the fact that she's a Jew, that she is a Jewish lady. And so she becomes queen and through Mordecai ends up saving the king's life from assassination. And then we're introduced to another character by the name of Haman. Haman rises to power under the new king and everyone literally bows down in respect to this man Haman. That is everyone except for who? Mordecai, the man of God. And so Haman is infuriated by this and he not only sets his mind on killing Mordecai, but he also wants to kill all the Jews spread throughout this particular kingdom. And there's a Jewish tradition that says not only was he furious at Mordecai, but his hatred and his plot to kill the Jews goes all the way back to King Saul of Israel being disobedient to God and not killing all the Amalekites. You might remember this story in our reading plan from a little while back. And if you remember, because King Saul didn't do this, the prophet Samuel, remember I said this is why you read the Bible because there's fascinating things like this. The prophet Samuel comes up to the scene and he actually, the Bible says this, I'm not making it up, hacks the king to death, King Agag. Remember that? And so tradition says that Haman was either a descendant of that particular king killed by the prophet Samuel or at least an Amalekite himself. Needless to say, there were consequences all these years later from Israel's disobedience that now threatened them with genocide. And so Haman gets the king to issue an order to kill all the Jews in his kingdom, not knowing that his beloved Queen Esther is also Jewish. 
And all of God's people do the right thing. And they begin to fast and to pray and to mourn over this situation. That takes us to Esther chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. Probably a familiar story to many of us. And the Bible says, Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. She sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so that he would take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. Esther summoned Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who attended her, and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. Apparently he was making quite the scene running around in sackcloth and crying and praying. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, ordering their destruction, so that Hathach might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathach came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to tell Mordecai, All the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned. The death penalty, unless the king extends the gold scepter allowing that person to live. I've not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. And Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him to do. Now, Esther is a very unique book of the Bible because really it's a story. It's a piece of history that's given to us. It doesn't go through any deep theological treatises. The name of God's not even mentioned in this particular book, but we do see all throughout her story the handiwork of God. And in all of this, I think that's probably the main point of this little book is that God Himself is very much in control that He has a plan, that He's sovereign over all things, and that His plan is good, and, and, and that what He says will come to be. What, he, he will hold uh, true to His Word, right? So the first thing we learn from Esther's story here in chapter 4 about God's plan is that God's plans are perfect. Now think about her story. What are the odds that a young Jewish woman held in exile with no mother or no father would be taken in and protected, first of all, by a godly man instead of being taken advantage of, and then would rise to the status of queen in one of the most powerful, greatest world empires in history? But Esther's story is still just another reminder that God has a plan for His people. And as Jeremiah tells us, that His plans are good, that His plans are not to harm His people. And even though it may look that way, 
sometimes, even though we may, you know, sometimes our little finite minds can't comprehend God's wisdom at work. And even when we can't see the good in a very bad situation, God is working, as Paul says, all things together for the good of his people. He has promised a future and a hope for us, if not in this life, certainly in the next. But even in this temporal life, we've got to understand God's plans, they're perfect. There is not a single flaw in God's planning. In this story, this, this terrible thing begins to transpire. And as the enemy, I think, seeks to just stamp out these people from history, just get rid of them. We know the spiritual implications of that, right? And then God's people become desperate as they hear this news and they do exactly what they should do. They begin, the Bible says, to fast and to pray and to mourn. And they can't see the good in this. They can't see the big picture. And they can't see God's hand even in this terrible situation. But they have hope. They have faith that somehow God will will come through in this. How many have been there before? You can't see any good, but you still have hope and faith that God will see you through whatever this situation may be. I think that's the faith that we need to have. When it seems like everything in life is just spiraling, spiraling out of control and, and there's no good in, in anything that we can see, we, we begin, as we've said before, that my favorite word, catastrophize, and everything's just absolutely terrible, right? And, when we, and suddenly we, we just need this faith that says, God, maybe I can't see the good in this, but I still know that you're good. God, I, I can't wrap my mind around what your plan is, but, but I know your plans are good. And I know that your plans are, are perfect. I, I know this because you're good, God. And you're perfect and you're holy. Second thing we learn from this story is that God's plans are not only perfect, but God's ways are prevailing. Our God, let me just share this with you. Our God is an unstoppable God. There is nothing that's going to stand in His way. His plans and His will are unstoppable. Mordecai says something that could be taken as rhetoric to try to convince Esther to intervene on the people's behalf, but I think it's true. He says, uh, basically, if you don't open your eyes and see that God has, has brought you to where you are for this purpose and that God Himself put you here, and Esther, if you don't use this position that God Almighty has given you to save His chosen people, then you'll probably die right along with the rest of us. And then God will somehow bring relief and deliverance, as He says, through somebody else. His plan's going to prevail. So Esther, you can either recognize what God's doing in your life and get on board with it and be used by God in a great and mighty way, or you can die a martyr's death and God will be glorified through somebody else. And then we'll have another book of the Bible named after some other fascinating person. Back in the book of Ezra, we read how the people were delayed from rebuilding the temple. Basically, everything was shut down. And if you remember how excited they were last week, you can imagine how devastating this would have been to have to stop. They're back home. They're laying the foundation for the temple. And all of a sudden, it just comes to a screeching halt. But it was in the delay that God was at work. And Ezra tells us that God not only allowed them to continue rebuilding the temple eventually, but through that delay, He got their enemies to pay for all of it. And he got the king to say anybody that stands in the way would be punished for standing in the way of this progress. It reminds me of a story about a a, a poor widow woman that lived up one of these hollers. and She didn't have anything at all, but she had a lot of faith. You know the kind of person I'm talking about. And every day she'd be outside on her porch or something. She'd just be praying and talking to God. And she had this neighbor, this man that uh, just could not stand that. He didn't believe in God. And 
that just infuriated him, the simple faith that she had. And he'd, he'd, he'd holler at her from across the yard, Hey, you might as well stop that. God ain't listening to you. He's not going to hear your prayers. She'd just go right on praying, you know. Well, one day she got a little low on food, and she just began to simply pray for God to bring her some food. And he heard this, and he said, I've got a plan now. And he went down to the store, and he bought a bunch of grocery bags full of food, and he snuck over there, and he just put them on her porch, and he went back home, and he just kind of watched for her to find them. And sure enough, she comes out, and she finds all this food on her porch, and she says, oh, Lord, how you've blessed me. Thank you so much, God, for giving me this food that I so desperately needed. And he comes running over. He says, I got you now. God didn't do that. I put that food right there. And she looked at him. She went back to pray, and she said, Lord, I just want to thank you again for giving me this food and for making the devil pay for it. And that's kind of what we see in this story. And that's how God works. His plans cannot be stopped. The point is, God's going to do what God wants to do. And because His plans are good, and because His plans are perfect, and because God Himself is good, you don't have to be afraid of what God is going to do. You just got to jump on board with it and hold on tight. Third thing we learn from this story, and I think this is a big lesson in this story, is that God's timing is so precise. Mordecai says, who knows, Esther, maybe, maybe God brought you to your royal position for such a time as this, for a moment just like this. And if you think about it, had she been there sooner, perhaps her influence with the king would have worn off by then. Had she been there later, perhaps it would have been too late to save God's people. And so when the decree goes out to kill all the Jews, it seemed like God was a little bit late to the game, right? But God's always right on time. God's never caught off guard. God's never playing catch-up to the things that we do, or the mistakes that we made. He's never late, even when we get impatient. He's always right on time. And it reminds me of that, that wonderful story in the New Testament with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and, and Jesus knows that Lazarus is sick. He even knew when Lazarus died, but then he doesn't show up to the place for four days. And when he gets there, and Mary and Martha, they're just like us. They're saying, Lord, if only you'd been here four days ago. Lord, if you hadn't waited, if you'd just, just, just been here when we asked you to be here. But he was right on time. There's a song that says he's, he's not four days late, he's right on time. And here's the point in that. Is you can't have a resurrection moment without somebody going to the grave first. And sometimes we think that it's, we've just reached the very end of whatever situation it is, but it's in that terrible dark moment that God wants to do something so incredible. And sometimes we just have to be patient and allow Him to work. We have to uh, learn to accept is that maybe God has you right where you are, right where you need to be at precisely the right moment. And here's what's tough about this, and I've, I've dealt with this, is you may not like where God's got you. You may not like that, that job that you're going to <laughs> probably Tuesday morning, right? You, you may not like the position that, that God's got you in, but He may have you there just like He had Esther there in, in that particular role where you can be influential in somebody else's life for a reason. And I think one of the greatest lessons in life is to learn how to be faithful to God in the meantime, where, when He's got you right where He wants you for that particular season before He takes you to somewhere else. And you may be really excited about where God's taking you, but listen, you better be faithful where God's got you right now before you get to where you're going. Esther would accept this responsibility, and she would help save God's people. 
And I love her attitude. If I perish, I perish. But here's the final thing we learn from all of this, and it's a repeating theme throughout the Bible, and that's that God's grace is priceless. God is once again, we've been talking about uh, His people on Wednesday night as we go through the book of Judges and how God just, even when they're not even worth saving, God again extends His grace to His people. And in this story, God is extending grace once again to His people through an individual. And Esther realizes that this thing where this place that God's got her and this thing that God's trying to do is so much bigger than herself. And again, she has the exact right attitude. She says, I'll go before the king on behalf of God's people, believing, trusting that God brought me here for a purpose and, that tr- and trusting that His plans are good, regardless of what that means for little old me. If I perish, I perish. If I die, I die, but I die in obedience to my God. The Apostle Paul came to this realization and his words are very similar. What does he say? He says, if I die, it's gain, right? If I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I go see Christ. And I think the greatest example of this that we have in, his, in, in, in the world, in history, is, of course, through, through Christ. And that's what we're celebrating today as we come, get ready to come to His table. It's how God would extend His grace to us through, through Jesus and, and prove that His grace is it's not cheap. And we try to cheapen God's grace far too often. We, we take it for granted so much, but it cost Christ everything. It cost Him His life. It cost Him His Body, it cost him his blood. And the absolutely crazy part about even our redemption through Christ, you've got to understand this, is even that was part of God's plan. From the very get-go, all the way back, if you remember back to January, when we were in the book of Genesis and we talked about the fall of man and we had that mirror that, I'm sorry, I made such a mess and broke the mirror right here on stage. Remember that? We said that's how messed up we are. And we destroyed God's perfect creation by bringing sin into it. And from that very moment, even before that moment, God planned to save and redeem us through Christ. It wasn't, as Shane said, Jesus was not God's contingency plan. He was God's plan. Jesus was always God's plan of redemption. And God's plan of redemption was perfect. And all throughout history, His ways would prevail. And we see that time and time again as as Satan, I think, over and over tried to cut these people off and destroy them and, and cut off the bloodline so there could be no Jesus of Nazareth. But He couldn't do it. God's plan could not be stopped. Haman couldn't stop God's plan. Herod couldn't stop God's plan. Pilate couldn't stop God's plan. Satan himself could not stop God's plan until Jesus came and paid the complete price on Calvary's cross for our sins. Now for us, the lesson in all that is to understand that God has a plan for you. And the first part of that plan is that God wants to save you. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, God wants to redeem you. And if you don't believe that, just look at the cross. That's why He sent Jesus to die was so that you could be saved and have everlasting life, as the Bible says. And secondly, God wants to use you. God wants you to be obedient to Him in all the little things, whether that means getting baptized or coming to church regularly or finding your purpose in God's plan and serving Him and just being a witness, an example to Him wherever He has you right now in this moment in life. 
And so wherever you are on that, in that journey today, I think I just want you to do this. It's very simple. Trust God. Trust His plan. And take that next step of obedience, whatever that is to you. In two weeks, we're going to go down to the river, Lord willing, and baptize some people. Some new believers, some older believers that just haven't been baptized. And if you've never taken that step of obedience, you've got to start there. That's the first step. And I encourage you to commit to that baptism. If you've never been saved, if you're sitting here this morning and you know you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, then this morning, I think God brought you here for such a time as this. You need to be saved. If you are saved and you are baptized and you're not serving God in some way, then you need to, you need to start praying, God, how can you use little old me where I am today? And then commit to following Him wherever He takes you. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, first of all, we just want to thank You for Jesus. Lord, we thank You for the freedom that we have in Him, for the gift of salvation that we, we have in Him. Lord, it's also humbling to think that You use people, ordinary people like Esther and Mordecai and me, Shane, and just regular people for Your purposes. Lord, I thank you that your plans not only apply to a select group of people or a particular nation, but God, you have a plan for every single one of us. And God, some of us have tried very hard to stray from that plan that you have for our lives. <laughs> some of us have ran, some of us have fought. And God, today I just pray that every one of us, regardless of where we are in our walk with you, God, that we would all just surrender to your will for our lives that we jump on board with what it is that you're doing in us in our church in our community because we know you can't be stopped you're going to have your way and it's a good way God I pray that we be obedient in the big things as well as the little and God this morning is prepare to go to the Lord's table. I pray if there's something standing between us and you that we just lay it down here at the altar this morning. God, if there's someone here that, that needs to be saved, I pray that today, Lord, will be the day of their salvation. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, this altar is open as we sing a song of invitation. If you need to come and pray, if you need to make a decision this morning, make a, a commitment to something, why don't you come as we sing? Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.